0: Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I am truly honored to be joined by Dr. Anna Lee Fisher, famous chemist, physician, and astronaut, and an amazing triple Bruin, earning three degrees from UCLA. Dr. Fisher was also this year's Distinguished UCLA College Commencement Speaker in June. She was selected by NASA in 1978 to be among the agency's first female astronauts. In 1983, just two weeks before delivering her daughter, she was assigned to her flight on the Space Shuttle Discovery and she embarked on mission STS 51A in 1984 when her daughter was just 14 months old, making her the first mother in space. After logging 192 spaceflight hours, she returned to UCLA to get her master's in chemistry in 1987. She served NASA in several capacities throughout her career. In addition to serving on space missions, Fisher was the chief of the Astronaut Office's Space Station branch, where she had a significant role in building the foundation for the International Space Station. She also worked in in the Mission Control Center as a lead communicator to the space station. Before retiring from NASA in 2017, Anna Leet was a management astronaut working on display development for NASA's pioneering Orion spacecraft, which will take astronauts farther into the solar system than they have ever gone. Lastly, Dr. Fisher is one of UCLA's iconic alumni featured in its Optimist campaign. Dr. Fisher, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on the recent 35th anniversary of your milestone as the first mother in space. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us for a conversation today.
1: Thank you so much, Katie. I'm happy to be here and have this opportunity to talk with all of you.
0: Wonderful. So to kick us off, this past June, you gave an inspiring speech for the college centennial commencement. What have you been up to since then? Wow.
1: (laughs) Uh, I've been traveling a great deal. (laughs) Um, I I will say after doing uh, two commencement addresses to 10,000 people each, I don't think anything will scare me ever again. (laughs) I bet. Yes, I've been doing a lot of traveling, actually. The um, State Department has a Speaker's uh, Bureau for the um, 50th anniversary of Apollo uh, 11. And there are a lot of different places around that have wanted astronauts to come speak. So I have been to, gosh, let's see, (laughs) several countries getting to talk about that and getting to talk about encouraging young folks to pursued careers in STEM and with women professionals about balancing career and family. And so, um, I finally made it to a one k status on
0: United airlines,
1: <laughs> 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 as, um, which I never did as a, in all my years. With wow.
0: That's amazing.
1: So that's a lot of what I've been doing plus, um, other, uh, family things, my, um, uh, celebrated my birthday with my my daughters and my granddaughters with a little girl's getaway, so that oh. was really fun
2: oh wonderful yeah.
1: so, so some fun things interspersed with business, although the business is also fun
0: good good that's that's what counts so you've had an extremely impressive career to date um and I'm curious did you always know that you wanted to be an astronaut and um the part two question is can you walk us through your journey from UCLA student to NASA's first mother in space?
1: Yes. Well, that's maybe I mean, well, it's two questions, and I'll answer them in probably a couple parts. And sure, I didn't always know I wanted to be an astronaut because when I was really young, there was no there was no such career as being an astronaut. Oh, um, You uh, that was not something that was you know that was science fiction back when I was a young a really young child. But I've always, ever since I was, um, I remember being in second grade and people asking me, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I wasn't 100% sure, but I knew I wanted to go to college. I would always answer, I wanted to go to college. And I'm not sure why I felt that way, because neither of my parents had been to college. Mm. And it wasn't, didn't uh, dis, uh, encourage me or discourage me. They they just, it wasn't part of their experience, um, right. you know. Talk a bit more about that if you wanted to, but I always knew I wanted to go to college. But then, when I was uh, 12 years old, um, listening to Al Shepard's uh, suborbital launch—the first American to be launched into space—shortly, well, a couple of years after the first astronauts, the Mercury Seven, were selected and announced, um, listening to him as he launched and talked to Mission Control. At that moment, I said, "I want to do that." You know that. Um, I, I, I. To me, it was just combining everything I loved. You know, science, learning, exploration. You know, it just combined everything that I thought would um, make my life meaningful. Because that's the thing I was looking for more than making money. i mean, yeah. more than, than. I was looking for um, what I considered a meaningful life, but of no, course, it didn't. Very realistic goal. <laughs> right, sir. Sure. So, but, um, and, and of course, all the astronauts then were male. They were all um, in the military. They were all pilots. Women weren't even allowed to serve in the military back then. You might right. not even remember that. <laughs> 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 they, were not, they were not allowed to go into combat. They were not allowed to fly high-performance jets. So wow. the, as they existed then, there was not even a way to apply. So, uh, but the seeds planted and I, and I always had that thought in the back of my head. But as I, as I continued on, my father was uh, stationed in San Pedro, uh, right in the Los Angeles area. Right. I, as I said, no one in my family had gone to college. So really, um, you know, my parents really didn't know how to advise me.
2: Sure.
1: I Lucky to, you know, have some really wonderful high school teachers at, at San Pedro High School. And um I applied to one school, one school only, UCLA, and was very I don't recommend that. <laughs> 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 very, very difficult school to get into. Right. Even then it was difficult, but perhaps maybe a little easier. Um so I was very fortunate to get in the one school I applied to, and, and it's one reason I feel so grateful to UCLA and, and love having an opportunity to pay back whenever I get a chance. Um, so, you know, I started out, and, you know, college was just a totally new experience, as I'm sure it is for many mm-hmm. college freshmen today. Definitely. No matter how smart you are or how... Uh, a studious you are. College is definitely different than high school. And yeah. so I it took a year or so to really figure this college stuff out. Mm-hmm. And I started out in math, but wasn't exactly sure what I was you know, what I was going to do with that. You know, I still in my own mind had that idea about being an astronaut. Um but again it didn't seem very likely at that time. Um as I Continued my studies, I became more interested in chemistry. Okay. I became a major. was very fortunate to get two NSF undergraduate research fellowships. Oh, wow. And, and so, my summer after my junior and my senior years, I was able to um, work in a lab and do some research for Dr. Hawthorne, who was a, a synthetic and organic chemist. chemist. Okay. And, um, and um, discovered that I love doing research and everything, but I really wanted to combine my love of math and science and chemistry with more working, more hands-on with people.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: he had also started doing some research on, you know, way back then, um, immunotherapy for cancer was kind of a new idea, but he was already starting to do some work on that. So I got kind of interested in going into medicine, applied to medical school extremely late and did not um, get into medical school, but my first time I applied, oh okay. um, but, I, but I was on the waiting list, and so that, that year that I was waiting, I did, a, I was in the graduate program in the chemistry department, which was really fun. I got to do all the, you know, the basic things that you do towards your PhD and got a lot of those coursework requirements and seminars and all that sort of stuff out of my yeah. way got to be a TA in organic chemistry and um so anyway that was a, a, a really neat year and remind me if I forget that was a very important part of my I think selection to be an astronaut and I I say that just because of course when I didn't get into medical school the first time I was disappointed sure even though it was because I applied very late no no I uh, that year turned out to be extremely valuable, and then I applied to medical school. My research advisor was very supportive. Got into medical school, and you know, continued on. I was actually admitted on the MD PhD program.
2: Oh and wow! Okay.
1: The, the way that program works, at least at that time, I'm not sure if it's still the same now. Was you would do your first two years of medical school, then you would stop, go back, and complete your research, and oh. then and then go back and do your clinical years. Well, I once, you're in,
2: okay.
1: once I was in medical school, you have a certain momentum going and you're with all your friends and everything. And I just didn't want to stop by then. I decided oh. I wanted to finish my medical degree. So I did that and finished my internship at Harbor General Hospital, which is a UCLA affiliated hospital. And um, was just finishing my internship when I found out um, that NASA was looking for astronauts for this space shuttle program, just purely by accident, just a huh. conversation with one of my medical school friends who was also doing uh, his internship at I oh, okay.
2: Found out about
1: a, a month before the deadline. Oh. You know, it took about back in those days to get your application in to, you know, Call to NASA, get the application sent, and, and uh, get your transcripts,
2: your letters right.
1: In fact, it was a real challenge to get it done in a month. To be honest with you, yeah, I'm sure. But <laughs> got my application in a month. Uh, I mean, a, a day before the deadline. <laughs> and um, six weeks later, you know, found my got, no, no, see June, and then in July, mid July. So yeah, about six weeks later found myself in Houston interviewing oh, for wow. the job. It, it all happened so fast and so unexpectedly. Quite honestly, it seems really surreal. It, it, you know, just I sometimes felt like I was in a dream or something.
2: Yeah, I can only imagine.
1: So that was my pathway to being selected as an astronaut. Um, uh, you did mention in your introduction, and I just I will um, say it's kind of uh, funny in retrospect because you said I came back in my, you know in the eighties to get my master's right, but the, w- the way that actually happened was you remember that year that I did um, as a as a, in the PhD program, oh, of course when I did as an astronaut, I didn't go ahead and complete my PhD I mean, basically it was yeah. a, a total job change sure a career change. And so years later, you know, after i saw finished Payton, I been asked back to come back by UCLA for a um, conference for a, a week uh, a weekend program for young women to encourage them to go into STEM careers and everything. And I was sitting on the stage before the program began with um, uh, the lady who in the chemistry department followed your progress throughout your degree for undergraduate graduate and uh students and postdocs and so forth, mm-hmm. and we were on the street just joking with. Her. You know, I really, you know, I really should have gotten my master's for that year's work with my good student. Literally, I'm and I'm not joking. I, I i was just kind of joking with her. Yeah, so, <laughs> we we'll just go back and check, and so. I said no, 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 really, don't. I said it isn't. Everything's fine. She goes, no, oh, no. We'll go back and check, and they did, and they found out I had the requirements for coursework masters, and so that's how come I wasn't oh, Wow. all those <laughs> years later.
2: <laughs> oh wow, that's how crazy. That's so. That's so funny how that worked out.
1: I mean, it was, but you know, actually, when you think, but you know, a lot of things, and in in the the board that I'm serving on that advises the undergraduate dean for physical sciences, something we've talked about, you know, back in the day when you got on a PhD program, they didn't ever bother to give you your master's;
2: you just got your
1: PhD, and so it was kind of, you know, if you didn't complete your PhD. you know, you weren't automatically given a master's, even if you had the requirements
2: for one. Oh, sure. Uh, right.
1: Now we're trying to really make a master's. There are a lot of people who think a bachelor's in certain areas of science is not quite enough, but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have a PhD. So I think as part of the group that I'm a part of, we, we've talked a bit about making the, uh, a master's a, a valid...
2: Um, Another option, uh, Yeah. <laughs> wow that's yeah that's so funny and and what a what an amazing obviously career change going from kind of the research side to then eventually getting to go to Houston and, and interviewing with NASA to touch on um to kind of go back to one of um the things you mentioned just now about u c l a being the only college you applied to. I also had read that you were first in your family to go to college as you shared and your parents um, you know, didn't go, to, didn't go to college. That wasn't part of their path. So um, considering that, and as a three-time UCLA alumna now, what does UCLA mean to you? And what about this institution kept you coming back?
1: Um, you know, from a very young age of when I was in second grade, I always knew that a college education was a key to your to your future, getting a good education,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and of course, I kind of intuitively knew that a college education was important, but I honestly didn't know how I was going to go about doing that. My father was a career military, oh, um, wow. definitely very middle class, maybe you could even say lower middle class in terms mm-hmm. of I mean, we were fine. We never wanted for anything, um, but. Um, you know, they definitely didn't have the experience in their background because my parents came from very different backgrounds, and I can talk about that if you, if you wanted to. But my father was very poor, joined the military um, at 17 and got his GED, um, mm-hmm. and, and he never even had the opportunity to go to college, even if he had wanted yeah. to. So, um so, uh, because we didn't have a lot of money, I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of choices as places to go. UCLA was in Los Angeles. My parents <laughs> could take me there. Um, it had a super reputation, and um, I was a California resident, and it, that's what the UC system back in those days was designed for. So, right, it it was a perfect fit for me. But I still didn't have any idea how. I was going to pay for that. My parents didn't, even though tuition, my tuition, my very first quarter at UCLA, if you can believe it, was $91 a quarter.
2: Oh my gosh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of students listening that would like to, would like to be paying that instead.
1: (laughs) I think I got a very good ROI. Yeah, right, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) let me say it quickly went up, however, certainly not to the level um, that I'm sure students are paying today. Right. Um, UCL was wonderful about working with me for financial aid, and then I was able to get the NSF undergraduate research fellowship that I mentioned.
2: Oh, right, so, yeah.
1: And so it was just that whole supportive atmosphere um, in every respect. and And then the thing that I still remember most, and I, I tell people about, is, you know, back to, when I graduated, it was 1971. So the chemistry department back then was so supportive of women.
2: Oh, you know, that's wonderful.
1: My research advisor was amazing. There weren't a lot of female professors back then. There weren't a lot of role models to look to. Yeah. And to gender, But my male um uh, advisors were, were all amazing and encouraging. I cannot, there was not a single chemistry professor I ever had that I can remember, you know, that said, you know, you don't belong in science, you don't
2: belong yeah, in chemistry. Right. That's and so chemistry
1: important. It's like that, was like that back in those days and, and still is today. And they're always looking at how to encourage both male and female, and they, they have no trouble getting males and nowadays I don't think they even have trouble being females but yeah you know in those days um it was a different story and I and I've never forgotten that and I've always been grateful
2: oh
0: that's wonderful and yeah like you said it's so important to have those people and professors around you that are encouraging you to continue pursuing the path that you're on, especially when you know there's not many role models for you to to currently look at for the, to have those people at UCLA um, that you could lean on to support you in your journey. So so valuable. Well,
1: it was my my research advisor, Dr. Hawthorne, was absolutely so He took me and my younger brother, as a matter of fact. Um, he was a, a private pilot, and I was oh. my first fight flight with him landing over in Catalina. Oh
2: wow.
1: Yeah. How yeah. fun. When he was in his eighties when he finally went back to um University of Missouri where he was from. Okay. As he was getting, he started his own uh institute and I came to speak at the opening uh or the dedication of his um institute. You can imagine he was starting a whole new research group at Age eighty.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> And,
1: um, when he, and, and, and he always took such great pride that he took me on my first. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so neat.
1: And so, you know, just UCLA was just a wonderful place to go. I mean, I still remember being a freshman at
2: Weber Hall. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing.
1: And, um, you know, just, and being able to watch the campus as it's grown over the years. and Yeah. And. Um, and, and watching you know, just how much more difficult it's been you know, to get in and just, just watching all the changes Definitely. and able to come back and, and talk to young students um, uh, is a, it's a real honor.
0: Yeah, well we we are we are so grateful. Um and, you know, speaking of that of course, you are one of the iconic alumni that was selected to be part of the UCLA Optimist campaign. And something I loved from your campaign, it says, you know, some working moms love their commute. And, you know, work work-life balance is a consistent topic in the professional world as people create their lives and find ways to be fulfilled both personally and professionally. Um, you know, of course, with your, you know, remarkable kind of pioneer, um, pioneering in, you know, being the first mother in space, could you share your thoughts on how you were able to grow your career and have a family and full life outside of work, especially for, you know, others looking to follow the same path? You know, there's no
1: easy answer to that question because... (laughs) It's just as difficult today as it was then. It, it, it maybe it's a little more I don't know, acceptable about now, but the um, the difficulties in balancing everything is, is is still there. But you know, one of the things, in fact, when I look back at it, I kind of laugh when I was being interviewed up by the selection board to be an astronaut. And the board uh, basically assuming you pass the physical by the time you're being interviewed, you have all the qualifications to be an astronaut, they wouldn't be wasting their time interviewing you
2: right, so sure.
1: and assuming that you you know pass the the medical tests and everything else the the big determination of whether you're selected is that interview with the selection board. it's a one hour interview with. The chief of the astronaut office, the head of flight okay. crew operations, and a board of about ten or twelve people, other astronauts, and so forth. So what I was headed towards was, even at that interview, I told them that if it affected their selection of me, I wanted to have a family. Oh. And, and wow! <laughs> I was back and I, Why did I say that? I'm <laughs> <not even legal. laughs> but I guess I. I I wanted them to know that yeah. I wanted to be more than anything in the world, and I wanted a family more than anything in the world. Yeah. So I just knew that I was just going to figure out how to make it happen. I won't say it's easy. Um, sure. Oh, it's definitely, um, I was very fortunate that, um, you know, my husband was an astronaut also. We found an amazing uh, young lady married to an amazing man who um, also was working in the space program and um, you know she just bent over backwards to help me and then the last six weeks before I flew, my mom came Um, but everybody has to find their their, well their own way around but leading Kristen when she was 14 months old um, was probably wasn't probably was the hardest thing you know, I've ever done in my life, but
2: yeah.
1: I, made, I made a commitment to NASA, and not only to NASA, but to the women that came after me. The the six of us that were selected in that first selection of women felt that responsibility. I mean, it wasn't like something you thought about every day or whatever, but you know, you you realize that you didn't want people saying, "Well, women can't do this." See, she right? Pick with it or anything like that. So it wasn't even, it wasn't something I even thought about. I mean, it was just like, I made that commitment. This was my dream. And yes, I want a family, but I also have the right to be happy and pursue my dreams as well.
2: Absolutely.
1: One one of the most, um, um, oh, I guess rewarding things was, uh, you know, my daughter, the daughter who was 14 months when I flew. Yeah. Is a uh, correspondent for Fox Network. Oh,
2: yes, I I read that. Yeah.
1: And so she was interviewed relatively recently because she just had her first daughter that's just going to turn two next month.
2: Oh, and
1: grandchild. And she said, We have on two occasions given a joint talk together. And um, when she was in, she was saying when we were speaking that when she was interviewed and asked about, you know, how she does it. She gets asked the same question. How do you, com- how do you combine a, a very yeah. semantic with, career um, with having a child? And she says, well, it never occurred to me that I couldn't. My mom did it. so Wow. You know, I thought that was just, you know, exactly what I want. And, and yeah. I did not follow a very traditional pathway because I was assigned to my second flight within a month after I landed. I was about six weeks from my second flight when Challenger happened. Okay. My husband and I decided to have our second child. And um, after Carol was born, my second daughter, um, I found out that having two children is a lot more work than one. And, <laughs> and it was just, you know, at that point, balancing um, Kristen, who was older at the time and new baby and everything, Um, I just decided that I wanted to take a year off. You know, I had taken absolutely no leave of absence with with Kristen. I decided to take a year off. Well, that year off wound up being seven years, not intentionally. Um, I was very fortunate to have a boss that um, raised his own children pretty much by himself or much at that time. So I think he was more understanding than most bosses but sure. I took seven years off and coming back after that seven year time frame was probably the second hardest thing I ever did um, but but the the point I'm making is that each person has to decide what's right for them mm. and their particular careers you know um, every career is different every situation is different that yeah. was what I wanted to do, and looking back on it, I have never regretted that. I did come back. I've had an amazing career since then. Um, but it, 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 how you balance a, a demanding career with um, having children and being present and being a good parent, you know, is, is, is there's no easy answers, but if you want to do it, you will figure out a way to make it happen. And it's not just unique to women you yeah know, my true a lot of several male office mates who um you know was concerned about when we switched to the space station program and you were gone for two or three years half the time while you were training in russia and japan and around the world and then you go into space for six months um yeah and, and they were selected for the shuttle space program and now things have changed you know, they, that made similar decisions because they didn't want to be away from their
2: family.
1: So that's just, yeah. just unique to women.
0: So your amazing story and pioneering accomplishments make you really an icon of inspiration. And with such a profound career, I'm wondering if you have any quotes or life mottos or rules you live by that you can share. Oh,
1: well, I, I guess the thing that that I think is probably the most perhaps underrated and maybe very important thing uh, to consider for success is being persistent. Mm. Persistent. I mean, there's so many talented people in the world, so many smart people, so many. Um, um, but if you have a dream and you're persistent, and I've seen it—not necessarily just in myself, but I um, several of my um, colleagues in the astronaut program applied six or seven times before they got selected as an astronaut. Wow!
2: Yeah.
1: And I—I I, I wonder sometimes if I hadn't been selected the first time, if that would have even occurred to me. Um, I, I really think persistence is underrated. <laughs> yeah.
2: i love that if you if
1: you want if you really want something um badly enough and and in today's world i mean i can talk about like if your dream is to go into space and say like you're medically disqualified you wanted to be a pilot your vision wasn't good enough to be selected you know nowadays all of a sudden with the advent of commercial space and Virgin Galactic and and Elon Musk and all, there's probably going to be lots more ways to go into space than they become real astronauts. So, you know, sometimes you may have to change it kind of the the way your, your, your dream is framed. You know, if if you wanted to be an astronaut, but really what you wanted was to go into space, there might be other ways to achieve that, that goal. And, um, you know, if you're a person who loves business and, your first business isn't successful, Um, uh, I can imagine it would be very easy to throw in the towel and go, oh, I'm not going to do that again. Right. I think being persistent is is really an important trait. And then, you know, you can never make, you know, hard work. (laughs) Yeah. You know, anybody who succeeds, you know, anybody who acts as a success is something that overnight you just suddenly, voila, it happens that I that rarely happens it's a lot of hard work involved in 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 being successful no matter what area that success is in
2: yeah
0: definitely and I I love that um quote or original quote persistence is underrated and I think um that's so true about you know when you're going for something that you you know is a dream or something you want really bad continuing to put in the time and effort and hard work will, you know, eventually help you get there.
1: And for example, there are sometimes alternate pathways. I mean, for example, um, you know, I didn't get into medical school the first time. There were several people in my medical school class who transferred in as a junior from Guadalajara for some medical school outside the U.S. Oh, Yeah um in the United States. You know, those friends of mine who, by the way, turned out to be very good doctors, um, <laughs> you know, nobody's gonna know where you went your first two years. Did you go to UCLA? Did you start in Guadalajara? And even and even people who totally complete their medical education in another country and then come here and get certified. And I'm sure that's true in lots of other fields. I'm only speaking from the fields from you
2: know, sure. Right.
1: Uh, so many people, when somebody tells them no, for whatever reason, um, you tend to, you know, the, your, your bubble is burst and you get deflated. Yeah. And I understand that. And certainly allow yourself you know, <laughs> to, to feel that. But rather
0: than giving up, use that to motivate you. Oh, that's great advice. So you've obviously experienced something that most of us can only fantasize about. And I'm curious, what did you expect before you went to space and how did your experience differ from your expectations and what was maybe the biggest surprise?
1: Um, I guess I felt fairly well prepared um for what I would experience because after every flight we have crew debriefings. You know, and I attended every single one of those and yeah. listened. To- carefully to what other people say, is, um, our, our training program—I'd have to say—is is superb. You know, you're 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 pretty much ready, but nothing can totally prepare you for the experience of lifting off in a rocket with seven million pounds of thrust. Wow! No matter how much you think about it, and you know what is that going to be like, and so forth. I mean, you're as prepared as you can possibly be, but, you, right. know, you, just, you know, there's the first time you do that, for sure, you know, once you've gone once, for those unfortunate are fortunate go more times, you know, you at least know what to expect, but you're yeah. never totally prepared. Um, I, I I'll honestly say the first night I was on orbit, um, there's a thing that astronauts and cosmonauts experience called space adaptation syndrome, about 60 or 70 percent of astronauts experience it and okay. it's really simple. it's the same symptoms as being seasick you know nausea
2: malaise oh.
1: you up. and I had that and I remember the first night thinking now why did I want to do this <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and like the first night that I used to I like dorm and I left home and I'm all by myself you know? right right so, what, what was what was I thinking
2: of
1: yeah yeah. But but actually, I found out in all my travels, that's kind of a common feeling when you're in a new environment, you know. Yeah. Um, If you're in a new environment and you're not feeling right. And then um, I remember I woke up on the morning of the third day and I felt great. And being weightless, I mean, it was as much fun as you could ever imagine. I guess maybe there's a little in in that, you know. Um, sometimes what you think you want when you first experience it, maybe it's not as great as you thought. But just wait a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's good advice. Yeah, that's
2: good advice too.
1: <laughs> UCLA warmed up on. I warmed up with UCLA. I really <laughs> know, warmed up space and everything. So yeah. Um, uh, so it's just. just uh, I think anytime you're in a new experience, no matter how much you wanted or what you thought about it. You know, it, it it may not be exactly what you expected, uh, but it was, uh, oh, going into space and looking at the earth and everything was amazing. I guess the only real surprises that I had were two, and one kind of relates indirectly to UCLA in that I had a professor for third year um, quantum chemistry, which to this day is probably the hardest class I ever took in my life, other than to <laughs> try and Russian, and we have an instructor, Dr. Miller, uh, and it wasn't our TA. He was our professor, and he made us come in to pick up our midterm in person. Oh, wow. All these years later, I still remember that, and I also remember how terrified I was. You know, (laughs) it's like if you get a bad grade, you can't just sort of slink off. Right, yeah. You have to to face it. Yeah. one of the things I've always remembered, like a, pro- a full professor making me make an appointment to come talk over your exam with him. So anyway, um, I got over that, and we went over my exam, and I missed a few things, and we talked him over it. But somehow, we got into a discussion of meteorites, falling stars. Oh. And he, oh, he asked me if I'd seen one, and I said, no, sir, I haven't. And he said, well, my oh dear, you have to correct that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, see, I go, so he goes. So he goes. When would you expect to be the best time? And I go. Well, probably at night would be the best. <laughs> and he goes. But exactly when at night? And then proceeded to derive the equations, which do not ask me. I couldn't do it now. But I love it. Derived the equations that showed that. the the highest probability of of a meteorite being really bright and entering the earth's atmosphere is just before dawn in the morning.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So so we did this derivation, and I promptly forgot about it and everything. So years later, fast forward, and and I'm on the shuttle, and I'm looking down into the atmosphere, and I see meteorites entering the atmosphere.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: You know, and, and it makes sense to that you're above the atmosphere, you know. But I never thought about it. I never thought that I would actually see meteorites from above.
2: Yeah. And, and
1: I wanted, so I felt so disappointed that Dr. Miller had passed away because I wanted to go oh, back and tell right. him. Right. I bet you didn't think of that one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. That's what an what an amazing story.
1: And, it, and there's some lessons to be learned there for, for like, professors and stuff, how, how much of an impression it made that I had to actually go in and pick up, you know. I mean, that's a very trivial thing when you think about it, you know, in a big yeah. scheme of life. But it's something that really impressed me. And so that was one surprise. And the other surprise actually was lighting. Because in a simulator, you know, when you're in a simulator, it's always dark because they're having to project the visuals and everything. Yeah. And so even... Even though they put a sun in the visuals, the sun isn't really shining in your eyes. But when you're on orbit and the sun is there, it's shining in your eyes. (laughs) And and so just learning, um, you you, you know, that was just, it's not like it was unexpected, but it it caused problems like with cameras not performing as well as they did. Oh,
2: I see. Sure.
1: And so, so little things like that, but other than that, you know, it was, it, it, it was as much what you could imagine it to be as you can imagine something that you've never experienced before.
2: Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't even, it's so hard to even imagine. And having,
1: having just come back from New Zealand, um, I haven't been in the Southern Hemisphere very frequently, and that, in and, and the. The, the few times I have have been actually uh, more recently um, in my, my lifetime. But one of my favorite memories was um, uh, we were on orbit doing some stuff, and my commander, we we had Walkmans back in those days. We didn't have iPhones with all of our devices <laughs> floated on board. And, um, and so he goes, Anna, come here and listen to this. And um, so he took out. You know, one of his earphones, and I was listening, and he was playing the Crosby, Stills, in Nash when you see the Southern Cross for the first time. And we were—I looked over at the, the map, the, the world map, and we were just crossing the equator. And I looked out the window, and I, I saw the Southern Cross for the first time.
2: Wow, that's that's just incredible. Wow, it yeah.
1: was that. <laughs> so I was telling <laughs> one of my girlfriends she lives in Hawaii and she was talking about how beautiful the stars were and all that stuff. And I go, yeah, it's so cool. And so I was telling her that story and, and I go, so I saw the Southern Cross for the first time from space. And she goes, yeah, you would. Anna.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty unbelievable. Wow. So just as you kind of mentioned, obviously, you know, your career and, and going to space, obviously your career has been far from average. Um, so what's, I'm curious, what's next for you and beyond space? Um, and my other kind of question on that same wavelength is, um, do you worry that there won't be anything that will beat the feeling of being in space?
1: Um well, I retired in April of 2017, and I've, I've nice. actually stopped saying that I retired because <laughs> 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 I'm actually just busy. Oh busy. It's just I have a little more control over my schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I would guess that the biggest surprise that I've had is the fact that I've been asked to do so many different things that I wasn't expecting to do. I mean... Um, as I mentioned a little, I was I'm invited to participate in the Speakers Bureau for the State Department. Right, and so I, I find that really, um, you know, kind of like doing this talk with you, getting an opportunity to go talk with with uh, young folks in other countries, and I and I'm, I'm amazed at how much space and STEM and science. Um, I mean. It, Every place I've gone to speak, it's the, whatever size the auditorium is, you're talking, you know, usually on the order of 300 or so people or more. Uh, wow. People come. They're excited about astronauts, excited about space. They want to bring their children to talk yeah. to them. And so to have that opportunity to um, pay back, if you will, um, this amazing um privilege that I've been granted, and to talk to young kids you know in all who may not you know like me didn't know how they would go to college no. even in the United States, there is really no reason why any child that wants to go to college can't now, maybe mm-hmm. you don't get to go to u c l a right out of right out of high school,
2: sure you
1: know, you have to go to college first, maybe you have to take alternate pathways, yeah. Like I said, if you're motivated and you want to go to college, there's a way to do it. Some of the other countries I've been to, that's not the case. You know, it's mm. it's harder and stuff. And so, if I if I'm able to even give one child or two t- children or young students that I'm talking to a glimmer of what's possible if you decide you want to get a good education, Um You know, that's me. And for me, you know, the benefit is getting a chance to to share that with folks, and the and and getting a chance to see all these amazing places that I saw from space.
2: Yeah. um,
1: From the ground, Um, I mean, all my life I've loved to travel. You know, my my father's in the military. Eighth grade was my 13th school, so I, I loved. Going. I love seeing other cultures and stuff. So, so anyway, I I've been really busy unexpectedly. So, <laughs> um, plus it's really fun. Um, as I mentioned, my daughter uh, had her my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter um, got married a little over a year ago, and I, I know that they're thinking about starting a family soon. So, oh,
2: okay, yeah.
1: So I have to make sure they're raised properly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I've already bought uh, my my granddaughter Clara several books. You know, organic chemistry for babies. Oh, offices, I love it! <laughs> <Rocket> <laughs> babies. I have this whole series that this uh, this oh gosh, I need to learn find out who the author is so that when I talk about him, I can give him credit. But <laughs> these are real these are real books, and they're actually really cute, very simplistic, and everything. But it gets, you know, um, uh, babies to the point where, you know, they're not so afraid of science and NAP. I think whatever yeah. you're exposed to, they're young. You, you know, so anyway. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> so fun. Just, so interspersed in my trips, I babysit while Kristen is off um, covering uh, President Trump and the Democratic <laughs> the Democratic wow. candidates today and uh, and trying to
2: explain the world of politics, I think
1: science is perhaps
2: easier to explain. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, definitely definitely a, still a book schedule for you, but that's nice that you, you know, are getting so many opportunities to share your story and continue to inspire young people to pursue opportunities in STEM and space. One of the most, um, uh, like, well,
1: or some things I've, I've had a chance to do. I mean, there's been so many, but there is, um, I guess it was about two years ago, the chemistry department started a seminar for junior and senior chemistry students. Oh, okay. Me, and, and and what it is is um, it's to show students who are majoring in chemistry what other graduates from UCLA have gone on to do. Oh,
2: so wonderful.
1: Graduates. CLA comes back and talks at the seminar, and they ask me to be the kickoff speaker. Oh, was, yeah. I like, would give any of we had had something like that when I was a chemistry. Yeah, professor.
2: I bet.
1: And and it's really interesting people that come back. But I cannot tell you what it was like to get up there and talk to these students sitting exactly where I sat. You know, it's not like I was at some other university. Right, right, some other. The world and the chemistry department doesn't look all that different from when I was there. I mean, <laughs> things have been upgraded. There's computers everywhere, and the classrooms have been upgraded. But the three lecture halls at, at between Young Hall and the geology building are still the same ones there. Wow. Um, when you walk down the hallways of the chemistry building, in the hallways it looks very much the same. When you go into the labs, of course they've all been upgraded to OSHA standards and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We just we just sat in the labs and we did our experiments and and we ate lunch and dinner right at our desk, right beside the reaction <laughs> everywhere. Now you'd be you would be in big trouble if you did what we did. <laughs> But it looks like the chemistry department is not that different when I was there. And to be able to look at these young young, young men and women that are embarking on their um, careers and to be able to say, I was there exactly where you're sitting, um, and be able to say, you know, getting a good education and pursuing their dreams is a really important thing, and it's achievable, and being able to share that um uh, yeah, it is something that I'm very proud
0: and, and, and honored to be able to do. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And I'm so thrilled that you got to be the kickoff speaker for a seminar like that to be able to show chemistry students the diverse paths that you can take as an alumni. So my final question for you today is, Since leaving UCLA, um, how have your life experiences shaped how you define success?
1: You know, success is a very personal thing. I mean, Mm. some people need outward confirmation of success. Um, For me, success was just little steps along the way. I remember remember different tests that I did super well on that I didn't think I would do well on, you
2: know? Mm, thought,
1: oh. Yeah. You know, um, I remember the first patient I took care of. I remember the first appendectomy I did. Wow. Um, I remember the first time I was in an emergency room and I was the doctor and ch- well, back like first time I was an intern and they'd call me in the middle of the night and I'm supposed <sighs> to know what to do and it, it, you know, success is the culmination of lots of little. Mm. There's yeah. no way when I was an undergraduate at UCLA, if they had selected astronauts at a much younger stage of your career, that I would have been ready. It was all those little successes along the way that, although they don't necessarily directly carry over, being a chemistry major, really does not directly carry over to being an astronaut. But the confidence you gain from tackling a research project,
2: mm-hmm. figuring out
1: how to do it, the the success you get from when, like I said, you're in an emergency room and all of a sudden you're the person in charge making yeah. the decisions. <laughs> uh, uh, so for... I feel that what I gained from my education at UCLA, both studying as an undergraduate, graduate, you know, medical school and postgraduate training, is those individual successes in a very competitive environment. I mean, yeah, definitely. you know, Yeah, when you're in a school where, everybody's selected because they've done very well in high school and then graduate school, and it's a constant winnowing process in medical school for sure. Um, you know, each of those successes starts to make you believe in yourself. I think yeah. when you're, unless you're a super, super self-confident person, which I was not, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you start to think everybody's smarter than me and I the. world. Harder, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, as you do well, because you work hard and you're persistent, as I said, um, you 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 discover, you know, maybe I'm not the smartest person in the world, but maybe I don't have to be the smartest mm-hmm. person in the world. Maybe I'm smart enough for what I want to do. Right. And UCLA gave me that confidence such that when I finally was well, I've selected to be an astronaut, although I will say it just scares thing. All of a sudden you sort of go, oh, geez, now I got selected. <laughs> right. Oh, now what? <laughs> like the dog that catches the car, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, okay. But All those little successes along the way um, lead you to, um, you know, feeling confident that you can do what you what you set out to do. But you know, success is such a relative term because mm-hmm. you know some people need to be successful at something where um, everybody acknowledges it. You know, like being president or whatever that you know whatever your your personal uh, goals are. Um, uh, to me, success is by me. Success is looking back and saying, I wouldn't change a single thing in my life. Mm, even the yeah. even the even the things that didn't work out the way I wanted, mm-hmm. even not getting to medical school the first time, um, not being the first person selected out of my class to fly or whatever, whatever your personal disappointments are, you find out that hmm, maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe it worked out better than what I thought it was I wanted. And just looking back and go, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't change good things, but I definitely wouldn't change even the the things that weren't great because they all led up to making me who I am today and where I am today. And, um, you know, that, that, that to me is if you look back on your life and you're happy with it and you treated people well and you overall lived your life, um we all make mistakes. We all do things we're not happy about. Sure. But overall, you're basically happy with your life. That, to me, is success. And you've given something back for what you've received. That, that's mm. is success.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I, I just loved every piece of your response there. And I think um, your definition of it being, all these little wins and victories along the way that give you that confidence to keep going and to find more success. I think um, there's definitely a lot of people I feel like that can resonate with that sentiment. And I think it's, it's so true. Um, All the, all the little successes along the way, you know, end up allowing you to feel confident and fulfilled um, and happy when you reflect on, you know, the many victories that you've had. Yeah.
1: You only get one life and you know, you really want to. I feel so badly for people that you know um, don't ever get a chance to really, you know, be happy with,
2: mm-hmm. with life.
1: And, and sometimes it's just a matter of your your frame of mind too. Because I certainly had happy moments along the way. I wouldn't want anyone to think that sure possible, a better version um, right and it, it was difficult. Things were difficult. But if all in all, when you look back you you feel, you know, that everything was the way you would want it to be, you wouldn't trade places with anybody else in the world, um, that's a, a, a really wonderful feeling. And other people's definition of success, for example, might be um, in my arena now. I'm not talking about campaign, but, you know, did you fly six or seven times in space? Which, yeah, I would give anything to a six or seven times in space. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have my two daughters that
2: right,
1: I think right. of, you know are, are extremely important, and I wouldn't have had the time with them that I wanted. So everybody has to figure out that balance for themselves. And what's right for person X isn't going to be right for person Y.
2: Yeah. I think
1: that's I, so hard about it. You wish you could give somebody a formula Right, right a right. yeah,
2: yeah, answer just like this and boom, voila, you're going to be happy and everything's <laughs> gonna be good.
1: Unfortunately yeah. it worked that way because every person is different, every situation is different. So yeah. Oh you know, yeah. So if it's at the end of, of time as you're looking back, you're you're happy with what you've done. And for me at my stage of life I don't want to just be looking back. <laughs> mm. I want to be looking forward as to, yeah. you know, I, I don't think life ends at, you know, 65 or 70 right. or whatever. Right. Uh, certainly I hope not. And I want to continue doing all the things I love and continuing to contribute for as long as I'm, I'm able because I, I think that's, you know, uh, that it's important to continue to want to grow and, and develop no matter
0: how old you are. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Dr. Fisher, for the opportunity. It's been such a privilege to be able to have this conversation with you today and learn more about your incredible um, life and the journey you've had. And um, I just thank you again so much for taking the time to share your insights and um, wisdom with us. I know there's a lot of Bruins, especially those that, you know, grew up even wanting to be astronauts that I think will love getting to hear um, your amazing story and perspective on life. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Katie, and go Bruin. That's right, go Bruin. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Dr. Annalie Fisher, former NASA astronaut. You can find more information on Dr. Fisher in the description of the podcast follow Partnership UCLA Alumni Career Programs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your appreciation on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we're back chatting with Paul Viviano, President and CEO of Children's Hospital Los Angeles. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.